Our sermon text this evening comes from Matthew 6. You can turn there in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. These words from the Sermon on the Mount, from the lips of our Lord. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. In his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the living God. And we say, Thanks, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this text. This is a meaningful text for many of us in this room. And I pray that tonight you comfort your people through the words of our Savior. Help us to understand this text rightly. And I pray that you keep us free from distraction. May we feast tonight. Use even me, your servant, from speaking error. Help us to walk in your truth in Christ's name. Amen. The caveat in order to begin, um, this is about anxiety. I was doing a bit of research, and anxiety, especially in light of COVID, is on the rise. Anxiety disorders are prevalent. This text is not so much to tackle anxiety disorders and that sort of thing, but that's a worthy topic. Instead, I'm going to stick close to the words of Jesus in light of the context of the Sermon on the Mount, though I do think this is applicable to those with anxiety disorders. Anxiety, like anger, can overwhelm us, especially those of us well acquainted with it. David Pallison, the counselor, the late counselor associated with Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, he calls worry Worries, he calls them hijackers that seize control of your mind. Hijackers that seize control of your mind. In this way, I think anxiety is like anger, it's just controlling, it can kind of overcome you. It can be daunting to live with anxiety. Let's tackle this. Though 
tonight, and let's think about the sort of worry Jesus wants us to stay away from. Firstly, consider that Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And we need to just ask the basic question, is this realistic? Is Jesus being unrealistic? How could you not worry about certain matters, in other words? Even if something is as simple as a man who's fixing his roof, should he not worry when he walks to the edge? Should he not worry about his next step? Or consider his wife when she sees him fall off the roof and make a thud in the backyard. Should she not worry? What is Jesus getting at? If that wife doesn't worry, by the way, surely that's not a very good wife. <laughs> to worry, on one level, is to be concerned. To worry or be concerned is not a bad thing in every circumstance. We should be concerned about a number of things. The Bible commends this. Planning, for instance, is commended. Planning for your food. Planning for how you're going to make money. Where you're going to go to college. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. All over Proverbs. The diligent are commended. Those who plan are commended. Elsewhere, Jesus says, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first to count the cost? So the root here for worry is used actually in a positive sense elsewhere in the New Testament. It's used actually to describe Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul speaks very highly of Timothy. And he says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Timothy sincerely cares for other people. And it's that word care. That's the same word translated worry in Matthew 6. Some translations say concern in Philippians 2. Timothy cares. He is concerned for other people's welfare. Whereas others, according to Paul... They seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Timothy, he's different. He has proven character. He cares. Paul also uses this word in 1 Corinthians 12 when he describes that the members of the church, we should have concern for one another. We should have care for one another. So now, consider again Matthew 6, verse 25. Do not worry about your life. This could be translated, do not care about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. That has a radical flavor to it, doesn't it? Don't care about your life. And this should grab our attention, and I think this is part of Jesus' point. This grabs our attention and makes us wonder, what is the point he is making? I think... Here would be my, my main point, my way to summarize this section. Jesus is saying that we should place concern for God's kingdom over our concern for our daily provision. Consider the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. It's all in the light of God's kingdom coming. Then give us our daily bread. That's the order 
of the Sermon on the Mount. As we'll see, I think that's the order in which this text, too, should be understood. A.W. Pink says this, When concern over making provision for the future leads the heart away from God and produces distrust, it has become sinful. Let me say that again. When concern over making provision for the future leads the heart away from God and produces distrust, it has become sinful. So this evening, that is what we're dealing with. And I think Jesus gives us reason after reason after reason. I've counted seven answers here in this text. Jesus tells us quite boldly, do not care about your life. But now he's going to comfort us. That's what the rest of the passage is about. And he gives us at least seven ways that we should be comforted. Because to not care about your life, that takes some faith. That is a bold statement. But he backs it up with comfort. So the first way he comforts us. Second part of verse 25. Your life is more than food and clothing. This is the first comfort. Or the first way, if you will, to fight worry. The first way to fight anxiety. Consider that life is more than food and clothing. The sort of life, in other words, that is pleasing to God is not made up of accumulating more clothing, foods, or experiences. Some, especially in our culture, they act as if accumulating goods or experiences are what life is all about. I spoke of this a few weeks ago. Life is much more than what meets the eye. Earthly goods and pleasures are short-lived. They are not what life is all about. Matthew 6 Verse. This is what I spoke on a few weeks ago. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And then he goes on, as we spoke about. You can't serve God and mammon or God and money. Solomon, in all his riches, richest man there was, he found that without God, all was meaningless. You know the refrain. He had all the riches at his fingertips, and yet he was able to say, meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is offering a different way, a better way. Life is more than meets the eye. And this is not some motivational speech. This is not the sort of thing motivational speakers <laughs> like to tell us. God does, though, offer true joy, and the joy is especially future. There's trial, tribulation. You're dealing with unbelievers and sin and persecution. But in the future, is that where your heavenly treasure is? There, beyond what you see, beyond food and clothing, that's where true life lay. That, I think, is Jesus' first way to comfort us as we forsake all for his kingdom. second way that Jesus comforts us in this passage, he tells us to consider nature. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the birds. Consider them. That's, a, that's an interesting command. How exactly are you supposed to obey that? Consider. 
the birds? Well, it's, it is a command. What does it mean to consider that? It means to pay attention, to open your eyes. Sixty, look. They're gathering their dependents. We can learn much from looking around us. And in this case, the ravens. Those dislikable, those dirty birds, even they are looked after by God. Note, I think, that this will require you to slow your pace of life. Jonathan Edwards lived hundreds of years ago. There's no electricity. There's no noise. There's no, uh, there's, there's no cars. What sort of town did he live in? I'm sure, surely it was quieter than our town. But in order to get away, to, in order to really pray, Jonathan Edwards would often go out, out into the country and take a hike. And there he would picnic and there he would pray. There, he said, I can get away from the noise. You think about that. Like, hold on. What noise do you have in your town? We have electricity, we have phones, we have TVs, we have radios. Consider the birds. I think this requires us, if you want to free yourself from anxiety, from worry, slow your pace of life down. Consider nature. Even look at the flowers. Do you care about what you look like? Do you care about your clothing? One day, you will shine. Pastor Ryan talked about this morning from the book of Daniel. One day the saints will shine. We may not even be able to recognize them if we were to see them today. And you will be clothed in splendor and in, in, in a sort of radiance that we wouldn't be able to recognize today. Do not worry about your clothing. Just think about the clothing to come. Consider that. Third way Jesus comforts us, tries to rid us of excessive worry, he says, Consider the uselessness of anxiety. Anxiety, well, it requires energy. Have you ever worried about something, and then a little while later, you just kind of realize, wow, I'm tired. What have I been doing? You've just been sitting there worrying. It takes a lot of energy to worry. It takes a lot of creativity. We have some creative worriers here, don't we? It tires us out. And it's useless. It doesn't produce anything. Sometimes anxiety, it can feel productive. It's like, I've done something today. Or at least I feel like I did something today. But when you look at it, all you've done is worry. Worry produces nothing. And Jesus tells us to consider the uselessness of it. And I learned something this week, dwelling on this passage this week. I don't want to call anyone out here in particular, but it needs to be said. Apparently, some people want to be taller. I think this is true, especially with the men. I hear Lisa. And if that's you, I have a Bible verse for you. Which of you, by worrying, could make yourself taller? That's literally what it says. Some translations will say, by worrying, can you add a span of length to your life? No, the answer is of course not. By worrying, you cannot add stature to your height. So Jesus says, consider, consider the uselessness of anxiety. Fourth, Jesus 
wants us to strengthen our faith in God. You see this, oh, you of little faith. He calls us out, doesn't he? Worry is often no more complicated than a lack of faith in the goodness of God, isn't it? It's a lack of belief in the kind providence of God. God will take care of you. If you do not believe this, you do not recognize the problem is simply with your belief. It's a lack of faith. Jesus marvels often at simple faith. Remember the centurion who said, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house in order to heal my servant. Just say the word. And Jesus said the word. But he marveled at this man for his faith. Elsewhere, Jesus rebukes crowds of people. And at times, he even rebukes his disciples for lack of faith. Remember when Jesus calms the storm? They woke him from sleeping. And he calms the storm and he turns and he looks at them and he says, where is your faith? His disciples had just seen him heal. His disciples had just seen him cast out demons. And now they're worried. And he rebukes them. But here, I think it's important to note, I think in this teaching, Jesus' tone is different. Pay careful attention to this. Jesus is not rebuking his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. I think here, as Jesus speaks of these matters, he's more tender. I think there's an appeal here. This is more clear in Luke's account of this teaching. In Luke 12, we really have a similar account to Matthew 6. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke 12, beginning in verses 22. I'm going to read a few verses here. You're going to see there's some parallel here, but Luke adds a few extra details that I think are helpful for catching this point. Luke 12, beginning in verse 22. There, Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life. He says many of the same things. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies. And he says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And then he gets into adding more, beginning in verse 32. Take note. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus calls his disciples little flock. And it's in relation to worry. It's in relation to anxiety. Jesus knows what he is calling us toward. It's not easy. And here, like a tender shepherd, Jesus is lowly, he's gentle, and he's like, fear not. I will provide for you. God, your Father, will provide for you. And it's tender. It's gentle. And it's a call to faith. The fifth way Jesus exhorts us to not worry. He says, consider the futile ways of unbelievers. The Gentiles, they're seeking after these things. They're seeking after food and excitement here on earth. Where are they building their treasure? They're building treasure on earth. Jesus' appeal is, you, you don't want to be like the Gentiles, do you? You don't want to imitate the lifestyle of the Gentiles, do you? Again, Proverbs 28.10, this is the end 
of the Gentiles. Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit. You don't want to be like that, do you? The unbelievers? You want to live like them? They're going to fall into a pit. They dug the pit. They're going to fall into the pit. Do you want to be like them? Of course not. Even though some wicked prosper for decades on earth, many living, many wicked live lives of misery. Their whole life is about attaining riches, popularity, fame, fortunes of various kinds. Do you want to be like those short-sighted people? The desire for earthly goods drive many into evil. That's, that's what unbelievers do. They, they are driven by money, not by God. And some, desiring to be rich, they even enslave other human beings in order to make this money. How evil can it get? They enslave others. Remember in Acts, the story of the slave girl? Acts 16, I'm going to read some verses here. Acts chapter 16. A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, so she was demon-possessed. She brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So this, this girl was taken into slavery by money-hungry men, and she went around and made money for them by predicting the future. And then Paul and his companions come to town, and quite literally, they annoy Paul. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. That's what evil does. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to take another person and enslave them so you can make money, so you can have a little more? You'll have your daily bread, won't you? You'll only have to do evil in order to achieve it. And of course, this rhetorical point is, is made for us. Paul, by the way, and Silas are dragged then into the marketplace by the authorities. They don't like this. This little girl was making these people lots and lots of money. And now Jesus drove the demon out and she can't predict the future. And they drag Paul and Silas into prison. Later, they're charged, they're put into the inner prison and they're fastened into the Stocks. Not only are they enslaving a little girl, they are imprisoning God's servants. Do not be like the Gentiles. They seek after these things. You, if you're my servant, you're altogether different. Sixth way that Jesus exhorts us to not worry. He calls us to remember that God is our loving Father. Luke 12, we pick this up, but here also we pick this up. Jesus says that God is our Father, and when he teaches us to pray, pray to your Father. Thomas Watson says this, it's kind of an archaic quote, but I think we can 
we can grasp this truth here. Thomas Watson says this, Learn hence the sad case of the wicked. They cannot say, Our Father in heaven. They may say, Our judge, but not our Father. The wicked, they fetch their pedigree from hell. And then he quotes John 8.44, You are of your father, the devil. The wicked, they cannot say our father. They can say our judge. That's their relationship to God. But they cannot say our father. But Christian, you have an altogether different experience, don't you? You may call on God as Abba, as Father. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You're in the family. He's your father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. Not only that, you're not just a son, you're an heir. An heir of God through Christ. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to not worry, and he's telling them, your father will provide for you. There's an old poem John Stott, I believe it was John Stott, quoted this poem. The poet is named Elizabeth Cheney, no relation to the politician from the 1800s. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. God is your father. Which of you, if he has a son, if he asks for a fish, gives him a serpent? God, of course, gives good gifts to his children, and that's Jesus' appeal. Do not worry. God will give you your daily bread. Seventh way, Jesus exhorts us to not worry he says, make God's kingdom your primary pursuit. I, I think this actually, I, I'm, I'm making a, a bit of an entrance here. I think this actually helps us not worry. I think when you're on mission, when you have something to do, I think it helps get your eyes off yourself, doesn't it? When you're actively serving other people, when you're building up God's church, you're not thinking about your worries. How can I meet the needs of other people? That helps free us from worry. And notice the promise that's connected here. Seek first God's kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. That's bold faith, though, isn't it? But we see it elsewhere. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize those disciples. Teach those disciples all that I have commanded you. But do you remember the end of the commission? I will be with you always until the end of the age. That's like this, isn't it? 
So here, beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry, and at the very end of the same book, Matthew 28, Jesus promises to be with us, to meet our needs. We can ask anything of him. He will answer us. Remember what he says? Ask anything in my name, and I will grant it. Or in Matthew 10, same book. This is a theme, I think, in Matthew. Must have faith. Jesus sends out his disciples. And he says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. The spirit of your father will speak in you. It is not you who speak. The apostle Paul had many trials, many tribulations. And in a few places in the New Testament, we actually get an account where he lists out a number of his trials and circumstances. And one of these places is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this, but as I read this, there's about 10 or 11 verses here. As I read this, I want you to listen. Where is Paul's anxiety? Ask yourself that as I read. Where is his anxiety? Paul is defending himself. That's the context. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. This is when he's defending his apostleship. In more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received a 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of, of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. And he goes on to defend himself. And all of that, where is Paul's anxiety? Where is his care? Where is his concern? It's for the churches. That, I think, is Jesus' point. Place concern for God's kingdom over your concern for your daily provision. This takes faith, great faith. Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age. Let's pray to him now. Our Father, we can pray to you as Father, and we're so grateful for that. And I pray for the strengthening of our faith tonight. You call us 
to the sort of lifestyle that at times scares us, that at times concerns us. But I pray that your promises in Scripture will outweigh our fear. Work in us in such a way tonight, in Jesus' name.